would you please, for the love of God and your own body, stop the damn hammering? I'm Jill Spidey. And I'm Chris Spidey. And today on Journalists, we talk about Scrooged, yet another holiday special. So I am super excited for this recording for a multitude of reasons. I will list them in in a certain order as to avoid any sort of punishment for myself later. Um, I'm excited that Jill has decided to join us today and that she chose this movie. My movie was to make it the musical Cats so that our listeners and Eddie could suffer. But that was vetoed. I'm also... I mean, I, I noticed I noticed at the start of the episode that there's a certain similarity between both of your names. I don't know what that would be. J yeah. and C are like a long way apart from the alphabet, my friend. <laughs> I feel like there was a day a long time ago when we like walked down an aisle or something. Something like that. I don't know. I don't remember getting a medal from Princess Leia. I would definitely remember that. I have the pleasure of being Chris's wife, for those who don't know. Well, welcome. <laughs> well, welcome to the podcast. I am I'm also really excited about this because last year I made Chris watch Batman uh, Returns. Wow. So, you know, this is definitely yes. you may notice that my name for the recording is specifically chosen <laughs> for Eddie today. I actually didn't see it. Uh, now I have to look. Batman oh yes, Returns. I see. I, is, I see the, the is Batman that the one references. <laughs> with Affleck? Is that no? No, 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 no. No, that oh, was the one I with um, Danny one. DeVito as Pfeiffer's Catwoman. Yes, yes. The incredible Christopher Walken yeah. as a true villain of the entire yes. piece. Got it. It is gloriously bad, but also at, at Christmas time. It's Much how Die Hard is technically a Christmas movie. I don't buy it. Right. I am not I, with you, on Eddie. team Die Hard is a Christmas Iron Man 3 movie. is also a Christmas movie. <laughs> Both by Shane Black. So there you go. A little Shane Black knowledge for the podcast today. Yeah. Yeah. But also like um, Hawkeye is a Christmas show and that's well, there's a Christmas, Christmas tree that plays Christmas a vital show. plot point in that entire movie. Sorry, series. How else will we get yes. an owl to go and eat two shrunk little henchmen in the most horrific scene imaginable that they do not show you? <laughs> That's just a love that scene. It's like, well, it's funny, but also the deeply, fun- deeply disturbing. Speaking of funny, but deeply, deeply disturbing. disturbing. <laughs> the, the funny part about this is that we're all on camera and Jill is watching us banter back and forth thinking, is this what they do every time? Because she doesn't listen to our podcast. She's not our one listener. Yes. That is not fair. I have listened to it a couple of times. Ah. Uh. <laughs> so you're, you're saying in total of house. maybe three episodes. Eddie, how many episodes <laughs> have we made so far? Um, we have made no, over 100. I, it, it, it's not a great batting average, I'll be honest. But... <laughs> You know, <laughs> there 
but you know what? Kurt. It is not zero, and therefore we respect the other thing that I'm super excited about today. In addition to having my lovely wife here, who I'm going to give a little stick to throughout the entire podcast, is I get to have a beer and record today. We usually record it in like the dredge of night for me at like three to five in the morning, and I'm doing all this for Eddie. But today we're recording around Eddie's dinner time. So yeah. us people that are in the real world, I just made a joke about being in America, calling it real world, and get to have a beer. <laughs> yes, because it is past mm-hmm. noon. I mean, yes, but there are breakfast outs, let's be real. So, yeah. That's true. That's true. And since I'm England, I have, I have been told more than once that um, it is past five o'clock somewhere in the Empire. <laughs> so, Jill, would you mind telling our audience a little bit about oh, yourself? Because they have no idea who you are. Are you a game designer? Are you an actress? Are you just an incredible mom with a daughter that looks up to you more than anyone else in the world? Are you a professional? Are you a scientist? These are the questions they want to know. Are you an editor that has to read the rough drafts of my work and tolerate it and act like you love it, be it good or bad? So here's the deal. I am that editor and I don't pretend to like it because if I don't like it, you know that you know. (laughs) (laughs) So you're a good editor. Excellent. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I am Chris's wife, I guess is my claim to fame in these circles. Um, I am a mom. We have a lovely dog who is just a fluffy Muppet. And, um, I, by day work as a marketing, you don't have to say where you work. I'm not, our fan will come out and and stalk you. Uh, Well, they can stalk me anyway, you know, so I'm just saying, (laughs) but yeah, I'm marketing director. It's not anything controversial. I don't think. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, when I met Chris, I didn't know that this whole world of TTRPGs existed. So <laughs> that was I'm sorry a learning curve, let's say. Um, when I met him, he was gaming like three or four times a week at that point. Um, so that had to end in order for us to actually date and see each other. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so that's kind of my story. My background is in acting and theater, um, and then that didn't pay the bills. So yay for corporate America. But I do work at a nonprofit, so I can feel good about the mission and the work that I do. Yeah. Well, that's cool. It's actually, it's, I'm actually, uh, well, your background would be cool about this because with Scrooge, um, we don't talk about so much in a podcast, but um, oh. my background actually was in television production. Um, and I have, I had, I have seen Scrooge for this long. I have forgotten all the relevant plot points. So, given what the topic of it is, it'll be interesting to talk about the the acting television intersection in television of, of this movie. A grand total of eight months. Uh, I was a temp at Lifetime Television. Mm-hmm. So, you want to talk about? Oh, that really? was an interesting experience. It was very positive experience. But um, I was in the creative on air promotions group. So. Part of my job was screening Lifetime Ooh. movies for like what are the clips that we're going to include in the commercials. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was fun. I was like 22, 23, and that was like a really fun thing to do. 
Yeah, I actually had a, a friend of mine. Um, well, I, have, I still have a friend of mine. He's still he's not dead or anything. Um, but uh, he's a scriptwriter, and he he works in movies. Um, and he told me like Lifetime's actually one of his favorite clients because they give him regular work. They they pay on time. Um, they're always like, great to work with. So yeah. it's actually really funny how yeah. how the small world we have. <laughs> so you said that it didn't pay the bills is why you stopped. But Rent taught us. That you don't artists don't have to pay the bills. They'll have a right. friend who will let them live for free for three to five <laughs> years, and then when they come to try to kick them out, the artist will be in the right, and their friend will be considered a capitalist and wrong. Yeah, that's generally how it works. But I'm not. I mean, Bohemia, I love. Bohemia. In fact, I was I was saying to Chris, I love the the apartment um, that Bill Murray's character. Um, that they inhabit together, right? Uh, it's and he said, "Why do you love it?" And I'm like, yeah. "It's so bohemian. Like it, it is kind of what you think of as like a a New York artsy apartment." So, um, way too that, big. Yes, I, know. Well, I mean, way I, too everything big, I yes, watch otherwise. is like, okay, well, that doesn't exist, <laughs> but it's really, cool. yeah, 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 right. <laughs> So I have done absolutely no research about this movie. I barely remember it other than the fact that it is one of Jill's favorite movies that she insists that we watch every year. This and Elf. I I don't insist on Elf. I like Elf. There's nothing wrong with Elf. I know you don't love it. I like it. Your daughter likes it. It's charming and lovely. Um, Scrooged, while I insist on watching it every year, we definitely do not. And well, my holiday movie that I insist on that no one else will watch with me, the animated Hobbit movie from 1977 is the epitome of a holiday movie. What are you saying that where there's a whip, there's a way is your idea of a holiday? <laughs> if theme? that song was in that movie, yes, I would say that, but it is not. It is in Return of the King. <laughs> is the it, animated Return is of the it, King. It, oh, oh. How do I know? Oh, this? you're right. I'm sorry, I, I mixed up my Hobbit psychedelic. Uh, uh, <laughs> How do I do this? I watched that Hobbit movies, movie yeah. every single year. I missed one year because of my daughter who right. refused to watch it with me. And I, I think cried she went out, inside. out of the room crying is actually what happened, yeah. The goblins, well, it was Sting and Giant that. Spiders. And maybe like a three-year-old, a three-year-old that is not the best thing for. But here's the thing, I don't mind the movie. It's not, I don't have the same you know, touch point that you do with it. But um, I can't hear it because you're singing over the whole thing. <laughs> that's that's part of it. That's part of the experience. You know. It elevates the movie. Yes, it does something. Sure does something. It... <laughs> <laughs> Joe, can we have you on every week in this podcast from now on? Because <laughs> is amazing <laughs> just hearing all the chris anecdotes eddie has to deal with them a little bit before we start recording but you get them 24 7 yeah i'm lucky that one so all right <laughs> so i'm 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 curious actually um uh jill what what is it about um, you really love <clears throat> what, what is it i love i love that it takes something that is kind of revered as um, a classic or something that's kind of stodgy and a little hard for people to relate to 
and it takes it and it flips it, but then it ultimately mm-hmm. tells the same story in a way that's more accessible. So I like that. Um, I also mm-hmm. think that the world is a really shitty place. Can we curse on this? Well, I am. Um, and so it's <laughs> oh, yeah. nice oh, yeah. to watch a movie that ultimately has like a really feel good, happy ending mm-hmm. like that sometimes is hard mm-hmm. to, that that feels more ge- genuine in its arc um so that's why i love it and also yeah. i am a jewish girl who loves christmas always have um mm-hmm. so i was really lucky when i met chris mm-hmm. and all of a sudden like we could actually do christmas things i have <laughs> never had like i have never you know my family didn't have a christmas tree we didn't have any of that so i remember one of the first years that chris and i we're together. I think we had just moved to this house and we got a new tree and it was bigger than the one that we had in our postage stamp of an apartment. And Chris was busy. We lived in writing. DC. That was a nice size apartment mm-hmm. for DC. Yeah. You were busy writing either. I think you were busy writing Harlem Unbound at the time, maybe. Anyway, you were really busy. And I remember you said, Oh, can you just go to the store and get lights? And I was like, uh, Okay. I mean, I'd never done such a thing. So I remember standing in the target, like looking at the lights, mm. feeling completely overwhelmed. So I looked for like the person who looked most likely to know what they were doing and they gave me lights. <laughs> so anyway, long story short, mm-hmm. I love Christmas and this is a really lovely Christmas movie. I mean, I've got a, a, quite a few Christmas movies that I like. So um, can you and I give us your top five? My top can you give us your top five Christmas movies? Well, so less for the podcast, more for my own point of reference, but still, we'll use it for both. My mother, who also obviously is Jewish, um, always loved Miracle on 34th Street. So that was like, that's a really good one. Mm, yeah. Um, so I do love that one. Um, I, I mean, it's hard not to love It's a Wonderful Life. Same kind of arc, just beautiful. I mean, Mm-hmm. I'm always in tears in that movie. Like always, always, always. Uh, so that's really good. I really love Elf. I love that they were able to make a classic movie in a modern era. Like I just think that's awesome. I don't know what my fifth is. I mean, that those are kind of my clinch. Well, I guess I could go back to White Christmas, um, which I love. Yeah. It, not, you know holiday go, in, you? not Holiday you know I'm about to go. I'm Do you want to tell that story? We're, we're telling stories today. So that, that's a whole <laughs> podcast. Is Jill and Chris telling stories. And Eddie <laughs> totally. Do you, tell them about the, hol- the Holiday Inn, please. We were going so out Holiday for about Inn's... six months. Six yeah, months Holiday at most. Inn's... Oh, do you want to tell the story? You can no, I'm just <laughs> adding that timeline to it. Um, so yeah, Holiday Inn is a classic. I mean, classic movie. If you haven't seen it, you really should. But we have seen it before. But had clearly forgotten that Holiday Inn. No, we. All right, I'm gonna have to jump in. We had each seen it at one point in time separately in the past. Yes, yes. We hadn't seen it recently at all, and no. definitely not together. No, and you know we were six months into our relationship. We had met in June, and it was now Christmas time. We're like, oh, let's watch it. Um, we like old movies, and yeah, let's watch it. Uh, yeah, forgot that there was a blackface scene. So. Cool. That was it, really awkward. 
Bean Crosby comes out in blackface Oops. singing about how the enslaved people should have been happy that they were that way as Abraham Lincoln. Little little bit in there. That's it, it's a it's a big scene. Like it's a solid middle showstopper scene in the movie. This is like back. Yeah, so that you know put a damper on the evening, I will say. But um White Christmas, on the other hand, is pretty much the same story, some of the same music, and does not have the blackface. So recommend White Christmas. Long story. It's exactly it. No blackface, thumbs up. <laughs> so they, they pulled a Pactor Trout, basically. <laughs> ah, there you go, Eddie. The second Doctor, oh, Patrick Troughton, one of the things Thank he wanted you. to do for the Doctor Who was he wanted to play the Doctor originally in blackface. And they said, how about we not do that? And he said, okay, we won't do that. But he found a way in one episode for him to be an antagonist to the Doctor in brownface for an entire 7 serial run of the show. Speaking with a very bad fake accent. Oi. Yeah, that's Mexican not good. Accent. He was a Mexican man. Yeah. <laughs> it was the 60s, which means that they were just <laughs> racist, but in black and white. Anyway. Um, Scrooge. Are, are, are we going to uh, talk so about Scrooge? Scrooge? We tell like more stories. So um, back in my day, I've got... I mean, no. Let's, let's they're, give they're the both... listeners what they want. Oh, okay, so so Chris, I, I do not in any way, shape, or form doubt your ability to inject stories <laughs> at any and all points during this podcast. So I'm not cutting off your story options. I'm simply now distributing them throughout the actual plot of the movie. Look at that. I, I'm always in, in awe of your professionalism, your dedication to our cause to create enjoyable content for our listeners. <laughs> um. So Scrooge, uh, uh, you said you did not do any research. Um, uh, uh, Jill, do you, do you do you know much about the backstory behind bit, how yeah. this movie was made um, or anything? Because I do love the movie, and so I'm always curious. And I had, you know, you you've heard various things about Bill Murray. Everybody's heard various things about Bill Murray, right? Like maybe he's not so great to work with. Mm -hmm. um, you know, um, so mm -hmm. when I was, you know, digging a little bit on that, he he hadn't been in a lot of films, even though he had been in Ghostbusters and that was huge. He hadn't been in a lot of films for a while and he was looking for a way to like do his big comeback. And he didn't find scripts that he liked, mm. but he liked something in Scrooge, but he didn't like the script. So he agreed mm -hmm. to do it, but only if they mm -hmm. trashed the script and kind of started over. <laughs> so... Except for everything. I like this project except for everything written so, down. So that's kind of what they did. I mean, they he and the creators rewrote the script. Um and um ultimately I don't think he was particularly happy with the way it turned out. It got slammed in reviews, like was not reviewed well, only after mm -hmm. a few you know mm -hmm. after years now people appreciate it more um mm. and then i also you know i i read about like i don't know i've read about a lot of things because i love carol kane i love her character in this i just she's such a comic mm -hmm. genius uh 
And so apparently oh, God, yeah. she really hit him in all of these scenes. Like maybe not <laughs> all of the times that she hit him, but like she really actually, like there was a point where they had to stop production for a couple days for him to recover from his injury. <laughs> yes, actually I, I, I didn't, I did. Um, I watched this on uh, Amazon uh, on Prime Video and they have those little tech, Things and one of the things I remember from that is that um, the scene where she grabs his lip and pulls mm. down. Apparently, she pulled so hard that he yeah. yeah. He, and he apparently, had she hated so he doing it. Like she didn't want to do it. <laughs> there was some kind of insistence. Either she insisted mm -hmm. or he insisted or something like that. But she would be crying on set because she was like hitting him and hurting him. So anyway, a little it mm -hmm. just brings an interesting perspective to to watching it, but. Um, that's what I know about, I mean, that's what I know about its initial production was that it was like not really mm -hmm. destined for greatness. Yeah. That was kind of a little bit of research again. It's kind of the vibe I got as well. Um, I also know that um, the producers were not bullish on it themselves. And so apparently a lot of the initial marketing really heavily leaned on the fact that Bill Murray's in Ghostbusters, and this also had ghosts in it. Um, so there's lots of like, you know, it's Bill Murray, but he's with ghosts again, but now there's three of them, you know, kind of vibe. Um, and this came out like right Ugh. after Ghostbusters 2, which also kind of tanked. So um, there was definitely a lot of trying to capture a certain lightning in a bottle that just didn't happen on, on multiple fronts, but, but Scrooge certainly seemed like it was kind of a, a casualty of... Uh, Um, I know for my part, uh, again, like I, I think I may have watched this on like VHS once, you know, back when Blockbuster was a thing, you know, kind of like, oh, let's, let's rent this for Christmas. But I had forgotten just absolutely everything about it. Um, and I know for me, the two things that I walked with it, one is like, you're right. It is a lot better than history has painted it. <laughs> um, I think because maybe we as a culture are a little more amenable to black comedy, which is definitely is. Um, but also, this is the most 80s thing I yes. think I've watched in a while. Because <laughs> like every pop culture reference was like, man, I lived through that decade, so I get that. But there are so many people who will not understand yes. what's happening right Absolutely. now. Absolutely. I mean, I kept thinking, like, I don't know. I mean, it's not right for our daughter yet. But I don't no. know that she will enjoy it as much because she mm. will not understand a lot of it. Right, like why? Right. Who is Bob Goulet and why right. is that funny? Right. Or, um, uh, the horrible Richard Pryor joke that they make in the movie. That's a bad one. I I had to, I yeah. had to explain that to Jill yeah. the other night. I had forgotten all of that story about Richard Pryor. Like I had forgotten that he was burned. Um, mm -hmm. I, like I had forgotten. He's himself that. on fire. Oh, well, I, yeah, I, yes. Yep. So, but I had forgotten that until you reminded me and I was like, oh, now I get that. Yeah, there's, oh yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. There are certain points where it's like, um, you know, this is also a very 80s movie in bad ways too. But I mean, it was like, um, I, uh, little things like I found out that uh, the guy who was supposed to play, I'm um, sorry, the Ghost of Christmas Past yes. was supposed that to be played by different. Sam Kinison. <laughs> Right, it would have been very different, but also like the most eighties cast right, so ever, mean, right? We're getting yeah, into the movie in there, so. 
sorry, since we're getting to the movie details itself, how about right. we just start okay. doing the synopsis and we do it bit by bit so we can interject those there. Unless there's anything in specific okay. about the yeah. actors themselves you want to go into or any more of the production. But this feels very much like it's tied to the plot. So we could like hit those as we go through the plot beats. So I have a question for you before we go on. I noticed that your microphones are like really big and mine's like really small when I talk. Does that matter? Okay. I just make <laughs> sure from a recording standpoint, I'm like, is what I'm saying uh, um, even matter? Okay. Everything you say matters. Yeah, no, the, 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 the um, in, in production. Yes. Okay. Um, but no, don't we, get it will be edited. Be like, just stuff. kidding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, I can hear you fine. Cool. And that really, that, that's all that matters. So. <laughs> all right. So as we, as always people, we have never really right. decided beforehand. Who would like to read? Would you like for me to read? Would you like to read? Would you like for us to put Eddie on the spot and have Eddie read a little bit? I'll read. I'll read. I'm done with these in a bit. IPC television executive Frank Cross is pushing his company to broadcast an extravagant live production of A Christmas Carol on Christmas Eve, making the staff work throughout the holiday. Frank fires executive Elliot Loudermilk for disagreeing with him and sends cheap IBC monogram towels to most of the people on his Christmas list, including his personal assistant, Grace, and his brother, James. While the powerful and influential people on this list each get an expensive forehead <laughs> hi-fi stereo VCR. Seeing the stress Frank is under with the production, Frank's boss, Preston Rhinelander, Rhinelander brings in consultant Bryce Cummings to provide assistance, though Bryce secretly wants Frank's job. Yeah, it's I think it's a good kind of place to stop there. First of all, yeah, the VCR thing is, like, again, peak age. Yes. That VCR, <laughs> that VCR was, like, top-notch. better than two. It was huge too. It was. I saw them. They had the full box out. The difference between like you get a towel or this gigantic thing, and there's nothing in between. Like there's not, you know, there's no present that's like, you know, a set of knives or like something Mm -hmm. that's smaller than a VCR (laughs) at the time. Yeah. Right. And that's one thing. I I mean, I, I, I kind of dug going into this movie because like. This is not a movie that that's what? subtle. There's nothing subtle about this film, um, and so Bill Murray plays Cross like hyperbolic bad guy, and so of course everything else is also equally, like you said, like you know, is the you know a towel, you know, there's a gag about a shower curtain as a gift, and or you know this expensive VCR thing, like yeah, it, it's it's the huge contrasts which i think really help kind of sell some yeah, of the, I read the humor somewhere of, that of the movie. his challenge that bill murray's challenge in having to play a really bad guy then at some point having developing mm-hmm. his self-awareness so that he's a good guy is was really difficult for him like how could he be so bad and then you know become the saving the savior at the end. Yeah. Right. So when we started watching this movie, I had forgotten how it opens and to see the Santa being invaded and saved by the $6 million man. I could not stop laughing. (laughs) I was laughing. I realized that the people I think that made bad Santa starring, God, I forgot his name now, but he plays Hellboy and he was in stranger things as a sheriff. 
and he was Black Widow's father in the Marvel movies, is a gun-toting right, yeah, killer yeah. Santa mm-hmm. in a current-day movie. So whoever saw this said, hmm, you know what? That would be a really good movie. And they went and they made Killer Santa. Wasn't it like the night the reindeer died or something like that? that yes! Was love it! <laughs> fabulous. It really is fabulous because you can totally see and- it. I mean, especially during the 80s. Like, that was like... You know, all of those kind of movies, not about Santa necessarily, you know, brandishing a a large gun. But, um, yeah, it was very, as you were saying, Eddie, like very of the 80s, for sure. And, yeah, like, like, I I could imagine a TV movie with Lee Majors playing this badass. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it, it's it's slightly, I mean, it, it's over the top, right? Um, it, it's a ridiculous premise, but also it's weirdly aged well because like it's, you could look back and now going, did that movie actually exist? Because I can almost kind of see that movie existing because it's already, it's, it's parodying the 80s movies in a way that you usually have to be further away from the decade to do and they're doing it inside of that decade, yeah. which is really, really amazing. I also so really like that- the way that, um, they they do start out the movie with the with the meta movie. I mean, I like that it's not they don't start from mm-hmm. a you know showing Frank Cross in the room with the executives. He you start in the movie, and I so I I like I like that. I thought that was a really nice. Yeah, because if you go in not knowing anything about it, you're like. <laughs> Is this the movie I'm watching? Hesley Majors in it. Where's Bill Murray? Oh, wait. Okay, now I see what's going on. But yeah, that minute of like, so what's as you people on here? actual television experience, when they give us the executives in with Bill Murray at the table with them, is that how it would really have played out? Does it have a real world vibe to it? Just elevated slightly, like by a hundred thousand percent. I wasn't in those rooms <laughs> to be able to say one way or another. Um, I. I mean, I wasn't in television moves, but I've been in video game rooms, and that's not too far away, right? Like, I'm going to show you a thing, have an executive come in and just shit all over it, make fun of it, and then try out the thing that he made, and tell everyone's supposed to like that. I certainly have never worked with that career director in a company that (laughs) happens to make an MMO at this point in time. Well... But the other thing that was weirdly that weirdly resonated with me is also oh, reminded me of Max yeah. Hedrum, the TV show. Um, because Max Hedrum also had tense boardroom scenes for a, on a television network, and you know all the screens up on the wall and the executive, you know, berating everybody and, and making fun of them. And I'm like, so it's like, again, Max Hedrum was also a, a satire of television production, so it was. It really resonated with me on that front. Um, but again, like, I was just not expecting initially a movie like, oh, this is going to be about television specifically, um, which given that it was a theatrical movie is an interest. Okay, because Max Headroom is a television show about a television show. So that's – there's a certain kind of meta-ness, but also it's using the television format to talk about the television format. This is a movie talking about the television format, and that adds a different 
resonance, even though we're all watching on TV screens as now. As we originally so watched Network, as we were watching it, it was giving me sort of callbacks to Network and how it was playing out throughout the entire course of that movie also. Especially when we get to the end, it just like hammers mm-hmm. it home almost 100%. Yeah, yeah uh, Sports Night is another good example. Yeah, yeah I mean... Um, there, there's, there's a lot of good television about how terrible television is. Yeah, and you know... You remember... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and, and television as it was being made in the 80s is probably very different than how it's being made now. I mean, yes. I, you know, at Lifetime, when I worked there, you know, we used VHS. Like, that's how we screened things. Like, that... I'm so old you guys i'm so old no same like i i have i have a really good knowledge of how to do deck to deck recording which is completely useless nobody does this anymore right i I know i know how to chroma key things jill no one does chroma key knowledge of the dinosaurs now yes yeah right i know i know i know um, speaking of dinosaurs, I was it took me actually a surprisingly long really? time to realize that was Bobcat Goldthwait because I did not realize he had a normal <laughs> speaking voice. <laughs> he actually has an even more normal speaking voice. You can hear him now. I mean, yeah, like that still was his like really? more of his character voice. Um, but yeah, he has a, a more normal sounding speaking voice, which is pretty yeah, it, it it's strange when you think of him as just I, I'm I'm so used to that kind of, I mean, near the end of the movie, he's he's doing his his kind of persona voice, but like yeah. he, he's doing a, a a reduced version of it here, um, and of course he had his hair back and the glasses, and so for like about two minutes, I was like, that looks that looks very familiar, and then there's a crackle or something in his voice, and I was like, oh my god, that's Bobcat. I mean, so when was Police Academy? Go ahead. No, I was just gonna make a Police Academy joke. Please, go. Your, yours would be more perfect <laughs> than my joke. No, I was gonna say, and this is jumping ahead a little bit in the in the chronology we, we the, have no format here of the but so the yeah. the gun scene with him you know brandishing a gun in the workplace like i will tell you that takes on a different yeah. feel now. yeah um yeah and i don't know if it's because yeah. i'm older and so therefore i understand it more or because our society is so much more gun heavy and shootings heavy um but it definitely takes on like a oh that's cringy that's super cringy so yeah yeah i mean I'll, i was gonna say it there but yes as we're here i mean like certainly uh disgruntled white man goes into workplace with semi-automatic rifle plays very different in 2023 now it's not nearly as funny it's <laughs> almost just like Ugh. That's that's not okay. But all the stuff up to that, I mean, is is kind of his overall collapse is is that kind of again that black humor of uh, uh, what is funny about this horrible thing happening. It's just that one piece. Society has changed yeah. such a way. Can we potentially talk about stricter gun laws though? Because he was only able to purchase a shotgun that, that was true. a two shot shotgun compared to what he probably could have gotten. True. That's true. That's true. It's true. And the room goes quiet as we contemplate the horror associated uh, with that comment. Oh, so. Yes. Um, I don't remember when Police Academy was done, but I'm trying to figure out mentally if, all right, 
And I think he showed up in Police Academy 3, if I remember. This is how much I knew of my 80s movies. Because they get that's when they got new recruits to come in. He was one of the new recruits. Why do I why do I remember Police Academy? Like out of everything uh, I could know, that is wasted. Uh yes. Bobcat Goldthwait did come in, in three, and that was so 86. I guess that must have got him this role, which is a, <laughs> an interesting transition. Somewhat for an actor, I would think. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, uh, this is just how my brain works, but, like, it, I, I recently have uh, gotten a bunch of DVDs of the um, <laughs> Space Coast Coast to Coast uh, animated talk show parody thing, and he was on that. Uh, but that was in the early 90s, kind of, his career was was winding up stage of things. Um, so, really, yeah, Bobcat's career is kind of, like, 85-ish to 90, and that's basically it so it was very in much case a, any of our listeners and possibly one of our hosts don't know what is space ghost coast to coast eddie oh uh space ghost coast to coast was um one of the first original cartoon network shows i think it was the first original cartoon network show um and the idea was they would recycle animation from the cartoon space ghost and turn it into a satirical talk show where Space Ghost has enslaved his enemies to uh, act as his band leader and producer, um, and Space Ghost tries to have interviews with people. And they would actually interview people with one set of questions and then edit them against a completely different set of questions. Uh, uh, so it was, it was <laughs> just what How we do with editing. How do shows like that get made? This is – I just – who pitches that? And, and, and it gets – I'm – I – I can tell you how it got made because it's cheap <laughs> because they were in Atlanta. They had easy access to a bunch of C-list celebrities because they go through Turner on their way to their actual jobs. They could pull them into a dark room, ask them 30 minutes of questions, and then edit that footage however they wanted. And they already had the license for the so, cartoon stuff. <laughs> Eddie, you keep saying Space Ghost like I should know who Space Ghost is. Who is Space Ghost? No, you shouldn't. No, you really shouldn't know who Space Ghost is. We should just move on from this topic now. Because Space Ghost is not, is not worth it. He's a Hanna-Barbera character that the only reason why I know him is because what? of this show. Making so from the fact Space Ghost is a Hanna-Barbera character who had two sidekicks, I want to say Jan and Jaina, and their space monkey Gleep. And they went around the galaxy potentially trying to fight crimes and do justice. So it started as a solid sci-fi action show that was not really well done. And then he became the comic trope that people are associating it with. Duh. Okay. One nerd. Two solid sci-fi action show. Duh. Duh. Three. And nerd. double duh. <laughs> How do I know that? I watched a lot of TV as a kid. And we've established my brain is nothing but You're not space. Wrong. Um, um, moving on from that though. The fact of seeing Robert Mitchum uh, in so, this so, uh, that I had forgotten he's in it as a head of like everything. Yes. Hilarious to me because I knew him as like a dark evil character and not a comical take that he is here talking about animals and television, which speaking of which mm -hmm. our dog Ziggy looked up at the TV when the animals came on. So he's not wrong. Okay. So yeah, that's the other thing. Um, during this, uh, 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 Preston Ryan Lander talks about how um, they want to market more television for animals. And so he's like, you know what? Don't make a whole show just for animals. That would, that would be crazy. But just introduce, like, you know, put like a mouse in the show or something. So something for, for the cat lives because 
a some number of pets watch TV, and we want to cater that audience, which on the one hand is a pitch perfect marketing joke <laughs> because it's like, um, how does this actually you know work? Uh, but on the other hand, it's also not entirely a joke because there are video games that actually do market to animals. So, for example, they have uh, iPad games now for cats um, where they actually have little mice go across the screen. And if the cat bats at the iPad surface, then it'll react and make noises that are pleasing for cats. Um, so it, it's it's both a marketing joke and also a real thing. Well, look, we, we watch um, uh, the show All Creatures Great and Small. Highly recommend. Totally not. Uh, the new one, not the old uh, one. Highly recommend. That's true. Oh, okay. okay. Um, and when our dog hears that music come on, she's like, all right, it's my show. Because it's all these animals in it. Yeah, she mm -hmm. gets really excited. So it's been off for a while. We really need it to come back. She needs the Peter Davis. Sadly, my boxer's into professional wrestling. So, you know. <laughs> the Peter Davison <laughs> version is too focused on the humans. Not enough animals. Yeah, she needs more animals. It is, it is no, all creatures great and small, except for if the actual Peter Davison walked around animal. dangling a piece of string, maybe it would be more engaging. I will point out that Peter Davison was, in fact, a cow at one point in time, so it's not entirely That's that a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy joke. Is I, is, we're, it we're is a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy 42. Joke. That's what I know. 42. And Jill looks like, what is he talking about? So I, I felt I had to like give you that one. The Hitchcock to the Galaxy TV show, Peter Davison played. It was a roll on a, roll. A walk on or roll on. Uh, it was a, a bit a part. <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, pew pew. Um, uh, uh, Grace. I love it. I have been that personal assistant. <laughs> and that kind of hurt to watch because I've worked for that executive. <laughs> Me too. Speaking of animals, should I tell this story about when I was a temp in, in New York and I worked, I'm not going to say the name of the company, but it was her company and I was mm. her assistant for like, I think they, a week, maybe two. It's a blur. Mm. But speaking of animals, so she was really hard to work for. Um, she had a dog mm. who came with her every day to work and um, she had, she put up a gate at her office door. So I would like literally have to climb over this gate in order every time she called me into her office to do something, which was often that same week, her mm -hmm. dog was having a birthday. And so I was in charge of like arranging the party, making sure that we had cookies that were in the shape of dog bones. Like I'm telling you the whole thing. And then at last minute, she says, we don't have who has a camera who has a camera nobody had a camera this was like you know early 2000s mm -hmm. so she made me run down to the Dwayne reed which existed at the time and like i'm mm -hmm. running and sweating and getting one of those disposable cameras and i came back just yes. as they were finishing singing happy birthday to this dog i mean it was it was an i have many stories about that place that place was 
experience. So yes, I have worked for similar Jill. people. Jill, for our our yes. non New York based fan base, what is a Dwayne Reed? Uh-huh. It's like a, a drugstore. So Walgreens bought them, so they're no longer Dwayne Reed, or there might be a few who are still named Dwayne Reed. But that's what you went to in New York when you needed to go. As you're telling New York stories, can I ask you to tell my favorite New York story? I don't know which one you're talking about. What famous comedian's daughter did you share rooms with in New York? Oh, got it. So when I moved to New York, I don't know if everybody's going to care about this, but whatever, I'll say it anyway. You can always cut it out. Um, when I moved to New York, I didn't know where I was going to live. And this was before mm. there were like online things to find roommates. And so um, there was a bus, you know, a bus stop thing. And it had a thing where you pulled it off. There was like a little tab. You pulled it off. Hey, I'm looking for somebody to sublet my place for the summer. Right. So mm. I went and it was this, uh, this old woman truly, she was in her 80s, um, had this apartment on the Upper West Side, right off of Central Park West. Is that a good neighborhood for our non-New York um, based listeners? Yes, the Upper West Side is a lovely neighborhood and Central Park West is gorgeous. And so this is like a doorman building, which is a big deal. That is not something that I would have ever been able to afford. But um, it was a rent controlled building. So this old woman, you know, rented this apartment, but then sublet two rooms in her three bedroom apartment. Um, And Mm. so the two rooms were rented out to a musician. That was the one I subletted from and an actress. Um, Becky, if you're out there, hi. Um, Anyway, so (laughs) the old woman's name was Maxine Marks and she was the daughter of Chico Marks, one of the Marks brothers. Oh, yeah. So she has a book. If anybody wants to learn more about Maxine Marx's life and her father, Chico. Um, but I would hear stories during my three months living there of like, you know, her people coming over her house for parties, you know, her being in a bathroom and like Catherine Hepburn walks in crying, like things like crazy stuff. Um, wow. So it was quite the experience for this, I was a baby, um, you know, and I didn't, I guess I I wish I had stayed in touch with her after I left New York, but I, it was, it's a long story. Um, but I mean, she died soon after because she was, she was elderly, but that apartment was fabulous. Mm -hmm. Um, and her stories were awesome too. So that's my, that does sound amazing. Well, moving us back from, from great New York stories to the horror of New York that is Scrooge in the eighties. And having worked in a lot of different jobs in my time, I've had numerous bosses like Bill Murray's character, Frank, from this movie. And I've seen them fire people how they fired Bobcat Goldwing from this movie in almost an exact same manner where all their stuff was gone. Or better yet, they fired an entire division of people by having them go outside for a picnic. And then when the people tried to go back in, none of their badges worked and all their belongings were brought out to them. So to see that brought back memories of that I've seen happen to other people in the workplace. And it is still hard to watch 
but to think that that people that did it probably had the same amount of joy that he got out of doing it too. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's. It, it's interesting you, you're you're mentioning uh, Jill about how Bill Murray struggled with with the arc, but I mean certainly at this start he is nailing the villain part really really <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> yeah, I mean I believed him. Let's let's I, I believed him. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think we've all, I mean, if you haven't experienced a boss like that, then God bless you. And mm. I hope that you are you are yeah. aware of how lucky you are. But yes, some of us have had some pretty terrible bosses along the way. So yes, Indeed. Grace Indeed. definitely can relate to her. She's, mm. um, and the story, I also read that apparently in the original draft, her family life wasn't really built out what? very well. And that's mm -hmm. something that they went in and revised to, to show more of her family, which Good. I really appreciated. Um, mm -hmm. I think it brings, um, I mean, obviously it mirrors the, 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 the Dickens story. Sure. But right. um, it's also just, I think gives more depth to the movie. So, Right, I mean, it's it's clear that that Grace is supposed to be the Bob Cratchit in this, but I mean, it, it's still a good thing because the assistant who is abused by their boss and are only doing his job because they don't have any other alternatives is such a very timeless story. That's one piece of the Christmas Carol that ages really well. Hearing you say that is interesting, given the fact that I know that you said Bill Murray kind of went over the credits and helped them redo it. I can't imagine Bill Murray adding into that role because I know for Ghostbusters. Originally, the Winston character for Ghostbusters was supposed to have been like a retired um, Air Force captain and been part of the group. And that's when they envisioned Eddie Murphy to do it. But instead, then they went back and cut Winston's role down to what you get from that movie. So I can't see him going and adding in additional content for another actor. But that's just my interpretation of Bill Murray. Well, and maybe... Well, and maybe it wasn't him. Maybe it was the producers once they looked at it, you know, the creators and said like, you know, I don't know if it was bill murray who who expanded that it may not have been sure i mean i mean if you look at look at it atomically um they probably could have done extra reshoots and not needed bill for any of those scenes except i mean like they, they had to have had the one where he confronts grace's family obviously but then all the stuff outside of that they didn't need bill on set for that so they could have done all reshoots afterwards you know, I think it's really powerful when he's um, with the ghost of Christmas present um, mm -hmm. and he's looking in on their family. Like, I just think that's a really yeah. beautiful thing, especially when you have seen his past um, and his mm -hmm. family, which I mean, I cry every time I'm crying. I'm like going to cry just talking about it when you see. You know, his father, who's actually played by one of his brothers um, in real life. So his three, Bill Murray's three brothers oh. are oh, in awesome. the film. Oh, so, wow. So yeah, his father is played by one of his brothers, and his brother in the film is played by one of his brothers. And then there's another, I forget the other one. Huh. Um, but anyway, it's really, yeah, That's it's wild. really wild. Um, you know, nepotism. <laughs> nepo isn't that what they call it? Um <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I just think it's really touching to see um, that contrast. Maybe Eddie, do you want to read the next bit, the next paragraph that yeah. I think touches on this part? Yeah, I mean, uh, 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 yeah, I'll, I'll read it. Um, 
The night before the show, Frank is visited by the ghost of his mentor, Lou Hayward, and also unloved miser who died from a heart attack seven years prior. Lou warns him three more ghosts will appear to him over the next day to help Frank avoid the same fate. Before it vanishes, the ghost dials up Claire Phillips, Frank's lost love from years ago. Claire comes to the network to talk to Frank, but Frank does not make time for her, and she returns to her homeless shelter where she works. Do we want to read the second paragraph, um, too, that directly hits there? Then we go back there. Cool. Yeah, I'll read it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, as rehearsals start and Frank wraps up his lunch with Preston, Frank is visited by the ghost of Christmas past, appearing as a manic taxi driver. He takes Frank to see his past, how he found solace in television to compensate for a cold and distant father, and how he had fallen in love with Claire but lost her when he prioritized his television career over her. So yeah, I just kind of cover all of that. Um, I do want to jump back to uh, oh. uh, the Lou Hayward I miss real special. Um, I miss like because... physical special effects so much. You're saying, sorry. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's the it's 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 not good. Uh, the special effects are not good, but mm-hmm. I think that actually works in the show's favor because the golf <laughs> ball that pops out and a mouse comes out of his skull, you don't want that to be realistic, right? You want that to be a funny moment, but you also have to believably think that it is a horrifying moment. And so I think the fact that it's crappy physical effects actually threads the needle perfectly for tone. Our dog Ziggy looked up at the mouse the entire time. Yeah. Just going to keep adding in Ziggy's feedback. She <laughs> popped up, stared at the mouse the whole time. The mouse went away. Her head went back down. When is Ziggy coming uh, in the podcast? All... I mean, she's here. She's, she's right just not a very vocal member of the podcast. No, exactly. Uh, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I love that, that whole premise of, of his old boss you know, rising from the dead. Um, I, I just think it's like, I don't know. There's And there's something about, you know, that character. Like I knew people in my life kind of like that character. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just really, I love that whole thing. And, and and it was disturbing to me as a kid. I remember feeling quite oh, sure, horrified yeah. by it as a kid. Um and it's gross. I mean, it is gross. It's gross. Um, but then yeah. the comic relief, particularly of like him <laughs> shooting the gun and then him drinking the booze and it's coming out of this hole. I mean, that's, it's just, <laughs> it's silly and wonderful. And like, you know, it adds, it adds humor to something that if it could be played a different way in a different movie. Right. And, I do remember you talking right. and you brought up the fact yeah. that drink that Bill Murray kept drinking the whole time, like vodka and tab and, uh, and, and oh, and yeah. like, drinking in the office, how that was very eighties, not so much now. So beautiful touchstones yeah. to the time, but to your point about him shooting the full of holes, the fact that he does that and Lou says, watch, I don't mind you shooting me, but be careful of the Bacardi. Going back to how important that booze is. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and that an executive would be drinking Bacardi. At the time, that was probably mm-hmm. like something that executives liked to drink more. Now that would yeah, be that was, that was, that was with scotch booze. or whiskey or it whatever. Um, it would not be that. So also a sign yeah. of the times. Similarly, like Stoli vodka at the time was like top tier vodka before it became you know so prevalent now. So again, it's like 
it, it, it's something again it's aged well because like at the time these are probably like you said pretty high profile executive drinks but now they're seen as kind of the things you find in the supermarket so Bill Murray being kind of trashy and not getting the excess also plays well, actually. <laughs> but but vodka and tab again, oh. peak eighties. Well, and what's this joke about the Stoli at one point? Stoli touched by Chernobyl or something like that. Oh. Yes, yes, touched by Chernobyl. Another eighties right. joke. Yeah. Uh, and but the fact that it, um, the fact that it has all that then, humor associated okay. with horror, but then it goes strictly into horror when. Lou pushes him through the window and hanging over the top of it, undercut again by comedy of him saying, please no, because they think I would jump. Like, horror, humor, horror, humor, beautifully executed. Yeah, and like, I mean, he breaks his mentor zombie's arm the the femur snaps. Like, be a close-up of the femur snapping as he falls to his death. And it's like this is a fun Christmas movie. <laughs> it's 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 amazing. It's good. And then then when he, you know, jolts up, um, you know, wakes up mm-hmm. from whatever, or you know, it, it's just a really nice transition too. Like I, um, it's well done. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing I I did notice is um, the lighting changes. Like uh, when. Bill Murray's character is with the ghost. The lighting is different than when he's in the quote-unquote real world. Um, and it's not an obvious thing, uh, but um, the lighting is obviously a little more ethereal, um, a little more kind of unfocused, uh, harsher lights against stronger shadows. Um, and the real world, it's more kind of natural three-spot lighting that you typically get on sets. Um, little things like that where it's like, for a movie that it sounds like was kind of put together probably with shooting script being written the day of, uh, they still clearly cared about someone. Some people on this project clearly cared about detail and really wanted to to make this shine. So it's do you, yeah. And you know, I turned to Chris kind of at the beginning of it and said, "I don't who wrote the music." Like I, I didn't know, and I looked up later and I saw it was Danny Elfman. Just like mm-hmm. okay, I mean he's iconic, right? We all know his work. Um, and then I read that the music wasn't even released as an album until like 2011. Wow. Really? So somehow, some way, you know, and, and I think that just goes to show like it was not a well-regarded movie. Like it was not, you know, so they didn't even bother to put the music together for an album. I, I thought that was interesting. But do you know why it was shot so well? It was it was directed by a little known director. Why you may not have heard of him, uh, Richard Donner. He had like a a small little a small little film in in seventy eight oh. that had a big impact on an entire genre. In case our listeners don't know, he 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 helped direct and like make sure a little movie called "Fucking Superman" nineteen seventy eight with Christopher Reeves happened, all because little known director Richard Donner, director of Scrooge. That is why this movie is so amazing. So the more we talk about this. The more we talk about it, the more I feel like Scrooge is a movie that like a a bizarrely high level of talent signed up for, and then they yeah. all kind of agree we will never discuss this. We will never talk about this. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I had read like you know, we, we, we had we, talked we, about um Robert Mitchum, mm-hmm. right? And I had I had read that mm-hmm. he really didn't want to do it, which not surprising. And mm-hmm. they said because it was a bit part, I and mean, it's just, it's not a big it's not a big role, and he's a big movie yeah. star. 
Um, but they said, mm-hmm. well, just meet with Bill Murray and then we can talk. And apparently Bill Murray, as he does, charmed the socks off him. And he was like, yeah, I'll do it. So I think that's mm-hmm. probably how they got. I mean, I think they used Bill Murray to get all these people on board. That that does track. Um, because, again, there's like there's lots of gags that seem like the throwaway lines like for example oh yeah mary lou retton playing tiny tim and then no that's that's actually mary lou retton you know, on screen or like we have you know bob hackett oh playing God. scrooge and then Fucking he bob walks across Hack- the screen oh. what <laughs> I know. well i mean buddy hackett also is iconic right? um something yeah, else right. that's interesting that you may not have noticed in terms of stars appearing on it very briefly um there's one point where uh, Bill Murray and his brother are walking on a New York street and there are street performers there. I know where you're going. And mm-hmm. it says like starving artists. You know who one of those starving artists is? Miles mm-hmm. Davis. Miles really? fucking Davis. Are you kidding wow. me? Like, and there's a couple others. I can't remember who the other two are, but like, How? How? I would love to know the story of how they got that. Bill Murray. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> Probably. Well, and, and speaking of iconic actors, I mean, we're moving into the Claire Phillips stuff now. And it's like, you know, you have Karen Allen from, you know, uh, uh, Raiders. Uh, and again, it's just like, she's a, playing a very different character than she plays in Raiders of the Lost Ark. But still, I mean, her just pure warmth and charisma like within seconds you're just like oh i'm gonna fall in love with this character right i get it she's yeah she's always very watchable she's just a very interesting she Mm -hmm. she makes interesting choices in terms of acting um and so she's really she's just really easy to watch um yeah and her warmth like you said like her warmth comes through like you just truly feel an affinity with her um and honestly, it's fantastic because, um, like, and I think I think her honestly really helps Bill Murray's arc because you immediately see the chemistry between those two actors on screen, and so you, so you believe that there was a relationship there, even though it takes they they present it and they go back to fill it in with the Ghost of Christmas Past moment, um, but. By that point in time, you're just watching stuff that you kind of already know on an instinctive level just because the way those two are on the screen. And so immediately you're like, okay, this guy's an asshole, but I want him to be worthy of this person. And so just the casting and the chemistry alone does a lot of heavy lifting for the story, which is really, really strategically good. I will say, this is me, I'm not contradicting you, but I will say, I wanted her to just tell him to fuck off. Um... Because you see this a lot in movies, mm-hmm. in life, these, you know, giving women who give and give and give, and the men take and take and take, um, mm-hmm. present company excluded. <laughs> uh, and so I wanted her to be like, you're a dick. And I'm not taking it anymore. And she did a little bit. She did like, you know, she walked away right. from him, but I, right. I really wanted her to give it to him. Like just, you know, but you know, that's maybe a different movie. <laughs> well, I, I mean, that, that's actually fair. I mean, um, 
there were certainly points uh, in the later part of the film where, which got a little uncomfortable on that front. Um, but just in terms of, I was talking about just in terms of like Bill Murray and Karen Allen being on screen together, right? It's like, I want to see these people keep talking to each other because I like watching them both on screen. Um, and so in movie language, that is the, okay, I want them to have reasons to be on screen together that, and I want them to generally like each other. So please have the movie go in that direction. That's what the audience is kind of going to have sympathy for. Um, but you're right that particularly the, um, when she is trying to talk to him and he's trying to be the boss scene, that certainly, it's not that it doesn't do Bill Murray fa any favors. Rather, it shows that he's still got a lot of work to do, right? Because he's there's someone he clearly cares about in front of him, and yet the job keeps getting in the way, and the job means that he's an asshole. There's certainly I could see an argument of her going, I I could see what kind of person you are right now. It's the judge someone by how they treat the waiter dynamic, right? Um, but I also recognize that. Romantic movies in the eighties, sadly, well, just at some point though, it's also that. the fact that even if you're in a relationship, you don't necessarily see the person in front of you. You see the person that you want them to be. Hence, her only referring to him as lumpy throughout the entire course of the movie, regardless of what he does, because that is her right. version of him. Even like ten, fifteen years later, so regardless of who he becomes, that is who she sees him to be, and that in of itself has a power associated with it. Even if it's him telling them to staple antlers onto the mm -hmm. head of a mouse. Well, and that scene mm -hmm. is where the quote that, you know, I read at the beginning comes from. And I, I, I find that, like, I love that quote. I just think because, frankly, we've all been in a situation where you're trying to get a thought out and, like, somebody's making a lot of noise yes. and it's like, for the love of God, just please stop for a minute, you know? So I love that. But I also, <laughs> I think it speaks to to what you guys are talking about, which is um, that it also brings out his real self at that moment, right? Right. Um, mm -hmm. That he's trying to be the nice guy in front of Claire, but but because there's this um, other thing happening, it does bring out the, the beast. And I like that it plays on a level that yes. it establishes that he can't have both even in this scene. Because when they stop hammering, the entire set falls apart. Like, completely falls apart. So it shows that he needs to make a choice of who, which version of himself he wants to be. It's not subtle, but it's not something that you really notice right then. Mm -hmm. It's like, ah, oh, it's a funny joke. Um, executive woman gets hit with a barrel that rolls towards her. Ha ha ha, funny. Yeah, that whole thing, right. I hate, that is such a, that is a cliche 80s, like, gag, like, with the woman who gets, like, it doesn't have to be a woman, it could be anybody who gets, like, in ghost right. I, I, in I, I hate that, that whole thing I can do with that. Well, in, in particular, I, I know that it was a very strong, oh, let's, let's beat up the censors, because, oh my god, we hate censorship, that was very much That's an true. 80s thing. That is true. So maybe, yeah, maybe at the time it would have been a little bit more... Yeah, it, it kind of reminds me of um, uh, Ghostbusters, like where um, yep. in Ghostbusters, like Peck is supposed to be the asshole from the Environmental Protection Agency, and it's like now it's like no, Peck has a, a lot of good points that you and, really and should be that thinking same treatment about out the entire time. <laughs> um, I do want to take a step back as we're talking about amazing mm -hmm. talent on the screen. We've referenced the character name, but we didn't say who it was. So Grace is doing incredible work by the phenomenal Alfred Woodard. 
and she's like killing it. And I want to make sure that we mention her name specifically and all the people that were mentioning. Mm-hmm. Like oh, that sure, is yeah. even more talent added onto this. And I said it. I said no, it. That, that, you didn't that, hear that, me. Okay. I said Making it. sure. Alfred Woodard is <laughs> yes. amazing. She, I mean, she's, you know, and at the time, I, I think she had already won awards. Like she was already like a, a name. She was already a name. And yeah. for, for me, less, mm-hmm. they're not so much a big, big name like those people, but the ghost of Christmas past, Buster Poindexter, uh, as his stage name. I love Buster Poindexter. I loved him as like a musician. Yes, I loved him yes. as an actor. And the ghost of Christmas past is fucking phenomenal. I love it. He's phenomenal throughout it, it. It's like from beginning to end, you know, at the end when she has to, she says, take me to the whatever building. I need to be there in three minutes. And he says, which floor or whatever. I mean, like I love that. Timing. Like even right. because when we, it's so, when it, we watch it together, yeah. And he's, we turn and look at each other and we yeah. comment like the timing between Bill Murray and Poindexter was like spot on the entire time. It's like back and forth, way to beat, jump in. And it was, ah. Oh. And that's the other thing I found fascinating was that um, this movie came out the same year as I'm sorry. Beetlejuice, movie? Right? and Ghost of Christmas Past. I'm sorry, Beetlejuice. Yeah, I'm not saying it time. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, but I mean, there, there are the Ghost of Christmas Past has strong Beetlejuice vibes. In gotcha. Presenting him. Um, oh. I, oh, nope, there was space in the middle. Doesn't count. It has to be three times in a row. <laughs> If Eddie's not here Come next time, Spivey. you know why. <laughs> the Keaton got you. Shrunken head and all, yeah. No, see, he has to get a passport to come over and get me some. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. I've um, never, I never. Yes, there, there's something that. weird. That is interesting. Like that there. Yeah, there's kind of weird late '80s ghosts manic vibe that seemed to be happening because they could not have inspired each other just because of the timing of yeah. it all. Something in the air. Well, and I, as Chris knows, I am a sucker for anything time travel. Like I, I love that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the the whole idea of sliding doors. I love the idea that you know you make a, a choice and it goes one way. You make a different choice and it may go another way. I love that. So, so that whole element of like whether it's a ghost taking you back or some other way of you returning to a different time. I just love all that. And I love being able to look on as an, like, I wonder what it would be like. I mean, this is getting a little bit deep. I wonder what it was like, would be like for me to walk in to my childhood as a, as an onlooker, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, and for some people it it would be absolutely tragic. And for some people it would be, you know, beautiful and, and wonderful and, and any mix of all of those things. So I love that stuff. So I love it. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. And I know also weirdly seeing um, Cross's uh, childhood kind of actually hit me a little harder than I expected because I was a latchkey kid growing up. Um, so my parents were often, you know, at, well, my, my mom was at work. I, my, I, my dad left. Uh, so a lot of times it was me at home by myself watching TV. That's how I entertained myself. Um, and so the kids sitting in front of television because uh, that's all he had. I was like, that, that actually stunk. That really helped me to soften to cross in a way that I was not expecting. I don't know if that was entirely the intention, um, but it certainly helped me to go, okay, I actually see and you a bit more. Same thing for me. Cause I, I think I mentioned on the podcast, but I was raised by my grandmother 
and she worked a lot to be able for us to to have mm-hmm. a house to live in and heat. So I spent most of my time alone watching TV. Hence my deep knowledge of Police Academy and The Hobbit. Um, but so that is how I grew up, and that resonated with me in a way I was not expecting. Which is one of the reasons why I never fight when Joe wants to watch this movie. I'm always down for it because that shows me, reminds me mm-hmm. of what my childhood was and what I strive to have our kids' childhood not to be. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I had mm-hmm. a very lovely childhood, so I'm um, <laughs> I'm not really one to contribute to this, but I will say when I watch that scene, I, I do think of like, I mean, my, my father grew up with an immig- a father who was an immigrant um, from the old country and mm-hmm. And, you know, he tells stories about his parents, you know, constantly yelling and screaming. And and he, like Chris, you know, has said, like, that will not be me. Right. And and made a conscious choice not to do that. So so I see, you know, I see echoes of that in the film. I think what you're really yeah. leaving out. Yeah, is that you don't want to admit that your grandfather was a butcher. And so your dad, in fact, would bring home five pounds of beef on Christmas just to say that we don't celebrate this holiday. Boom, veal, motherfuckers, is what happened every Christmas. I mean, it is, it is true. My great grandfather, I mean, my grandfather was a butcher. Like, my, he, really was. <laughs> he was a butcher. So my dad can learn how to cut meat. It's great. But yes, so there is, there is a lot of. A lot of connection. Yeah, and like and like the gag about the um where where Cross is trying to be like, um, wow, that's twenty-three dollars for veal, you know, just turning down there. And I'm like, that's not I, I see your point there actually. <laughs> I know it's a joke, but I'm actually on your side on this point. Like, right. As a grown up, like <laughs> yeah. so, for <laughs> I mean we won't talk about the like the human humaneness or 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 unhumaneness, Inhumane. whatever that word is. Of veal in general, but like, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. For our TTG RPG <laughs> listeners that are vaguely familiar with Harlem Unbound, I did a lot of research for Harlem Unbound, and I did a lot of research in Jewish community. But one of the things that I also did is I talked to my father-in-law in detail about like his father and all the different things that he went through when he came here, and that helped shape and influence some of the writing for Harlem Unbound. Like without that input, the book would not be what it is, and all the work itself wouldn't be the same without That's Jill's really cool. input and advice constantly, like pushing me to make it better or saying that that sentence is not a real sentence; you should make it one. And so, I want to give credit where credit is due, and we're at a point where I can actually talk about it based on the five pounds of veal, which is a joke I made during the first night of Hanukkah last night. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I I, lo- I love when people have a shared media knowledge. You could just make those kinds of references. That's always fun. <laughs> Anything. Uh, anyway, I, I I want to jump ahead to um. We talked briefly about the apartments. Uh, where where Claire and Cross are together. Um, I, I admit, hippie Bill Murray was not believable what? to me at you all. You mean the guy? <laughs> From Caddyshack that possibly ate a baby Ruth you can't envision as a hippie. It was maybe a baby Ruth or maybe something else that's brown that floats in a pool. Bill Bill Murray may have a lot of strengths as an actor, but he is always very firm in the yuppie category, particularly in his 80s era of history. I mean, that's that's that is the 
stratum of society that he exists in, and he is good at that stratum. And so him with a very <laughs> obvious wig. Um, but the same receding hairline to to as he has. Which, which was a good go. was a yeah. great joke. Yeah, yeah. I have to admit, that yeah. was a great joke. Um, and they even pointed out, like, she, Claire makes like, a side comment about the hair, uh, which I thought was just a nice little bit of cattiness I loved. Um, but just, yeah, them, you know, we, we're going to live in a small apartment and we're going to make it work and we're all artists. And, and I'm just like, I, I am not buying this at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. I will push back on that. To okay. say, I, I will to say that for a relationship oh, wow. okay. for short periods of time, you are willing to do a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Having gone out with with a woman that was very bohemian, anyone that knows me knows that I am not bohemian. Like I'm goth, I'm a professional, I'm a lot of things. Bohemian is not one of them. Mm-hmm. I had my own minor bohemian period for about a year. Didn't last, didn't stick. One my thing. Mm-hmm. And Jill, if I'm not new information. Yeah, I mean, I could. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Is don't it? Know. Maybe. I do think, yes, you do try to shape yourself in some relationships to fit um, sort of what you think they well, want or what you think they are. That's a. Like how painful that was for to say. I it's mean, like dragging nails across a board. Like, I. Well, no, I'm. Yes, no, 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 no. No, 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 I'm not. Was it painful? I was thinking as I was talking. Well, that's like, can I tell you? My boss, we were in a meeting, and now it's a running joke because someone gave an idea, and he goes, Well, that's not the worst idea. And so, like, now that's the thing. That is the thing that we just say over and over again. So, it's the worst idea. Right. Okay, good. What is the worst idea? Is it the worst idea? Uh, but no, uh, uh, what I was saying is my, my initial uh, uh, perspective on that was because um, Bill Murray's character was trying to sell it like this was a big point of his life. But if we reframe it to he's telling himself that, then I think that does all track. That that makes a lot more sense to me then. Because um, initially I was just like, no, 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 no. But if, but if that's the gag, right, if that's the joke, it's like it's so obviously not mm-hmm. this. And he's trying to tell himself it is when all evidence to the contrary says that that's absolutely not what's happening here. Then I can now see that actually was the point of the joke. Which then sticks that, to everything that, that he's done so far, like better. how he goes back and says, talk, tries to talk about like the veal's price is why it's this. Or why, no, it's not this thing that he's feeling. So it's constantly right. there to just reinforce little bits. And that is uh, okay. him all sort right. of like shaping it more. I, I had seen it as he was softening up and being more open. But if he's still self-delusional then actually that just track and actually solves another small bump i had later so actually that works out awesome this is why i like having these conversations so let's like, take like a to, pause I, I like so Jill, how are you enjoying the podcast so far that you've listened to three times out of over 100 episodes oh I, no I, I like it it's fun to talk about these things because i don't uh, now i will say i'm always amazed by you chris and your friends and your colleagues in this world who remember things about movies and shows months years decades after you saw them like I don't have that memory for things if I don't if I hadn't just seen this again I would remember because I've seen it like a lot but I don't Mm -hmm. have so I'm always 
a lot of times when Chris and I are with like a group of people and he sort of breaks off into a conversation about media and stuff, I glaze yeah. over because I'm like, <laughs> it's, it's, I, I, I just can't. And I keep those short um, but it because is you glaze over. I, oh, oh. I mean. Oh, as, as, as <laughs> Skinny, the look of skepticism that's happening right that. now is, is amazing. Short. I mean, it, it's under two hour episodes. I suppose that's short. Right, so this is interesting because I am con- I'm, I'm, I'm part of that conversation rather than totally glazing over. So behind the scenes, Only we, we've been really busy for the past few months. But one of the things I tried to do is I tried to wait as long as possible for us to watch the movie. And so we watched it the day before we did the recording. So it was less, nope, right now, it had been 24 hours ago we watched this movie. Literally, 24 hours. It's fresh. It's fresh. Yeah. Right. And honestly, I mean, uh, that's, how we, that's how we do a lot of this podcast, right? Like, I, we, I watch these. Even things that I know I've seen a hundred times before, I still watch them again. Because sometimes I see new things, um, but also I just forget entire subplots uh, and stuff like that. So, so yeah, no, it's it's... My, I have a brain like a sieve, stuff just falls. I thought we had this handy document that the I'm boasting at that the viewers can't it's, see. It's the um, hand gestures but, that you uh, make you know, towards it of all stuff that are really impressive stuff. for the listener. Right, I know it's so important. <laughs> uh, anyway, yes. Anything else about the Ghost of Christmas? Past? I want to say that I have been in New York enough, yes. and I've had taxi drivers like that, and they are not as cool as Buster Poindexter. That's it. That's all. Who is? I Who do is? like that his right. cab looks different. So from a from a set design, from a scene design perspective, like his cab does yeah. not look like New, a New York City a, a New York City cab of that time. No, yeah, it's, it's older. older. It reflects it's, it's nice. more of the past, yeah. which I I think that's a great choice that they made. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Uh, after the visit, Frank goes to the shelter to see Claire hoping to make amends. However, his attitude quickly sours, and he shows his contempt for a homeless man named Herman and the shelter workers. He returns to the studio, but not before telling Claire, scrape it off, Claire. If you want to save someone, save yourself. This will not come back to haunt him. <laughs> the ghost of Chris's presence arrives in an ethereal, sweet-voiced fairy who punches, <laughs> kicks, and slaps Frank to focus his attention. She takes him to Grace's apartment, showing his assistant struggles to support her large family, including her youngest son, Calvin, who has remained mute since witnessing his father's death. The ghost then shows him James, spending a humble yet festive Christmas with a group of friends and his wife, Wendy. James still defends Frank, despite Frank's cheap gifts and his refusal to share in Christmas celebrations with him. The ghost leaves him in a utility space under the sidewalk with Herman, who Frank finds to his shock has frozen to death. Again, cheery Christmas movie. <laughs> I remember finding that bit as a kid very disturbing. Like, I found it disturbing when we watched yeah. it yesterday. <laughs> I know as an adult I was a little I disturbed mean, by he, it. <laughs> what I, I was trying to figure out and analyze it more because I, I don't tend to do that without being prompted like this. Why he is mm-hmm. dead with a smile on his face and holding his watch. It's just an I don't it's an interesting thing that I I don't I still don't understand why they made that choice but um he like he's still happy as he dies. So like this is where 
I, I, I again, like I noticed the lighting cues, and I actually had to look at the lighting to get a cue. I don't think this actually happened. I think this is part of Frank's dreamlike state, because the lighting there is different from the way the lighting has been in other parts of the movie. Um, uh, that's the only way I can explain it, honestly, because it's just a little too surreal to. I mean, like, people freezing to death in New York is definitely a thing, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, homeless people freezing to death is a horrible, awful thing that really absolutely happens. Uh, but you're right. The way he's sitting felt a little unnatural, and so my, my thought it was that this was a, a metaphor. I would like to totally uh, agree with you, Israel. but I can't because the end of the movie, we see him okay. with the ghost. So that implies that he died in the movie. I think the reason they have him sitting like that is the character himself in the whole when he saw him was generally happy and affable. But it's a way to undercut the actual horror of that scene. If he had been huddled in a corner with like a blanket half over him frozen to death, that is a very different vibe than what we get with Frank finding him just frozen to death, which is horrific. Like there is a, a PG and a PG-13 is what I'm Given going the- for. Oh sure, like from from a, from a, a production standpoint, obviously you, you you want to reduce the amount of horror. Because again, the whole movie has been very carefully walking that line. Um, so that part I get. Uh, given the fact that Cross has repeatedly hallucinated up to and through these scenes, and then we cut back to see the reality of the scene, you could argue that we're both right. You know that he is actually dead, but how he's how Frank sees him as not what's actually there. Yeah, and the the watch to me um, is interesting because like it's all this this whole thing yes. is about time, right? Past, present, future, mm-hmm. and so the the and the way that the the watch drops, it's like time is you know time is fleeting, time is moving. So yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. There, there's uh, there's a lot of metaphor in a movie, um, which is again the movie's kind of a blunt hammer of black hound, not in a bad way, maybe, but it's, just, it's very clearly, you know, making sure you clearly get what's going on there. So the fact that it does do metaphor occasionally is actually kind of interesting. It, it, it's a little, here's something that's a little less overt that acts as a different layer on top of the stuff's happening. So it gives it a little bit of depth at times. Which and is a little actually bit more to your point, really Phil, about the watch dropping is that it doesn't drop until Frank touches him, which reinforces to Frank that his time is running out. But like that was a very nice touch. Or if you want to go more for where I was going from the horror aspect of it, it's when he touched him, that bone broke because he was dead. All about happy, warm, and shiny. It's like Christmas. But but again, again, this is so 1988, right? Because like showing a frozen dead person, that's too far. But a guy's femur breaking before someone falls to but their death, that's a, cool. obvious difference. <laughs> No. Sure. One is obviously clearly fantasy death situation, yeah. as opposed to one that's more of a real life situation. I, I get that, but still, it is a, a disparity that is both interesting from a cultural perspective, but also I think plays into again the ongoing Which black goes, comedy vibes of the whole movie. Counteracting the fact that it's all fantasy for Frank, because even after Hayward in his office disappears and frank finishes his drink he spits out the golf ball that popped out of hayward's head so like that goes back to show you that lee's visions are actually happening to some extent so that's a nice little balance that plays with it Mm -hmm. and while i'm backtracking i want to point out that bryce is played by lionel luther so it's always good to see lionel 
I hate his son Lex, but I support him somehow in the end from Smallville. <laughs> we did a small cat, no, okay. Smallville episode. So that is for the Smallville, Smallville people to know that we know that's Lionel Luther, a very young Lionel Luther at that. Right. Well, I mean, everyone was younger in 88. I actually was. Uh, is there anything else about the Ghost of Christmas uh, present section? And we kind of talked a little bit about, I wouldn't want, about the, the, the... I wouldn't want Carol Kane to punch me in the jaw, I tell you that. It looks like she knows how to swing a punch. God, no. It... Oh, the other 80s cultural touchstone is they're playing Trivial Pursuit. Yes. And the callback <laughs> that they do at the end to that is just yes. beautiful. And of course, all of us who grew up in the 80s, like that Trivial Pursuit question is easy, right? I mean, Mm-hmm. We all and yep. I, and I think they choose that for a reason. Like they didn't choose something obscure. They chose something where all of us were going to be screaming at the screen, SS Minnow, SS Minnow, you know. Um right, cuz it connects you to Frank Moore. Oh. Yeah. And one more thing I just no, want to present part is they do a solid job which talked from before of submitting it on Grace's family and like making Grace's family part of the heart of the movie. Yeah. So when that comes back in the end, it means more. And they submitted them in Harlem, and I can make yeah, a Luke like, Cage joke about Alfred, Alfred Woodard, who stars, who's in Luke Cage, and in this, both happening in Harlem. But I'll put it aside. Nice. Like at first, I was unnerved when they were um, uh, dressed, you know, dressing up one of them, one of the kids, as a tree, uh, the the mute kid as a tree, and I'm like, that's a little harsh. Um, I don't get your harsh, but it's a bit harsh. But then I realized that everyone was kind of in on yeah. the joke um, a little bit. So, and it's like, okay, this is a family that ribs each other. Now I get it. And actually, I like them better because that's how my friends this, and my family tend yeah, to act. And then, so, you know, okay, again, I get it now. you can see the contrast because you've got their family that has so many family members, right? Like you see, and mm-hmm. then you've got Frank's family that has like quite few family members like not just mm-hmm. in in like the spirit of it but like you just see that there's much more community they may have less financially but there's much more community um yep and and i and again the contrast is i could go into great. now about an 80 stereotype about yeah. things but i will i'll let that one go because the movie makes it a poignant point for it and it's less of a stereotype but relevant to the plot but it, this is also where we establish the Zerbert in that oh. scene with him. Oh, God. The Zerbert, yes. That's an awkward... Not here it's not. Here it's funny. Awkward. Here it's funny and family friendly. It'll become awkward very soon. <laughs> oh, yes. That is true. Oh, yes. That is true. Yes. Um, although, again, I love how they kind of just gloss over. It's the, you know, Bill Murray's trying to make fun of the kid. And it's like, oh, it's because his father died. And he's just like stopped and they just move on i'm yeah. like that's dark well and they make that joke <laughs> Watch that, this they die. make that joke oh i thought she was just wearing black for a fashion choice like it's yeah but um bunch yeah right and it's just like again this this whole movie it's like we're dark thing quick beat on it and then play it off with a joke and then move on that's this whole movie, and generally speaking, again, some stuff isn't aged well, but like generally speaking, it's really good job of pacing Dark Thing, 
funny thing. And then usually somewhere around there is a silly thing that happens. So you're always going through this roller coaster of tone and, and it's, it's just surprisingly well done. It's a hard balance to do. All right. You're good. Anything else about the ghost of person? Sergeant? Nope. Okay. Frank desperately tries to escape from the sewers, uh, breaking through a boarded up door to end up back on the set of the production somehow. Cause that's how New York works. Uh, Preston directs Bryce to take over the rehearsals to give Frank some time off. Retiring to his office, Frank finds a drunken and deranged Elliot waiting for him, armed with a shotgun, ready to kill Frank for causing the loss of his job, family, and home. Frank escapes the elevator where the Grim, Grim, Grim Reaper-like Ghost of Christmas Future awaits. I can talk. The ghost takes him to the future where a now canatonic Calvin has been institutionalized. Claire has heeded Frank's words, leading to her marrying Rich, leading a decadent lifestyle, and viewing the homeless with disgust. Finally, the ghost shows Frank's cremation ceremony where only James and Wendy in attendance. Frightened and remorseful, having initially mistaken James as the deceased, Frank is further shocked to find himself inside the casket as it's about to be incinerated. He breaks his way out and emerges from the elevator to face Elliot, elated to be alive, but oblivious to the fact that Elliot is still trying to kill him. Frank's completely changed demeanor surprises Elliot, particularly when Frank offers him a high-level executive position, which he accepts. All right, I'm going to start this off by talking about the uncomfortable Zerbert. Like, I know we said a lot of important stuff, but the fact okay. that you've got Bill Murray, I'm not even using, I'm using real names, Bill Murray raises up Bob's Bobcat shirt yeah. and physically, and you hear it, juicy and sloppy sounds, Zerbert, his belly. And I'm going to assume they weren't friends before this started. Maybe they're friends during the course of the shooting, but Eddie... <laughs> We're friends. I like you a whole lot. At no point in time would I zerber you. Like you that is not me. gonna ever happen, my friend. I, I think, however, we need to take a moment to recognize the pure late eighties of this scene of a high-powered executive with a white man with a shotgun <laughs> sexually assaulting him after giving him a raise is just the 80s in a nutshell. <laughs> we could talk about him sticking a phallus-like object into Bill Murray's <laughs> mouth if you want to, too, if you want to go there. Then he assaulted him. Right? Jill, I even, I love you, but at no point in time I, I think I've ever zerbered you, and I do not think that is on my list of things to do. God, I hope not. No, 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 no. I, I also... So, yeah, to a child? Utterly yeah, uncomfortable yeah. with that seat. Jill made a shivering sound yeah. and feeling. On the Which couch I'm sure was the it. intent. I'm sure that was the intent. It's just not good. It, 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 it's it's uncomfortable in a bad way. It's not uncomfortable in a funny way. The other way. thing that was weird to me was, you know, Grace. They show her with her son, who's institutionalized. He's maybe, I don't know, seven, eight years older than he was in mm -hmm. the beginning of this film. And yet mm -hmm. she's wearing this like <laughs> Star Wars-esque thing on her head, like a <laughs> scarf. And it's, it looks very Star Wars to me. I, like it's, I could it's like see Alfred Woodard pulling off, Alfred Woodard pulling off a Princess Leia thing. I'd watch that movie. I, for oh, sure, yeah. for sure. Yeah. But it just, I felt like the future was, was, um, it was interesting how pure fantasy it was. Like, oh, in eight years, he gets yeah. institutionalized and she joins, you know, Starfleet. <laughs> oh, sorry, wrong one, Star Trek. Um, 
Um, Funny part is, is my brain with the clock with orange, but yeah, I think yeah. we're on the same page. And then I, I love Claire in this. In yes. I love her. I, in fact, I, I was watching her and the choices they made for her makeup and her, and her hair and her, what she was mm-hmm. wearing. And I was like, that would be a fabulous Halloween costume. Um, it's just so perfect. And the fact that she says, scrape them off, you know, I just, mm-hmm. and again, it's fantasy, but they clearly went like far in this fantasy, which I thought, I, I, I thought was cool. It, it's not meant to be real, right? It's meant to be fantasy. So here's my theory on that piece of it, right? Um, because it leads to one of the things I want to talk about is I love the fact that the ghost yes. of the future, his face is a television screen. And so it's like your future is television. And so I looked at all those as Frank could only see his future as television dramas. Mm. So like, you know, like all of those are the scenes you would see in like a soap opera or a a lifetime drama or uh, a science fiction movie. These are all, these are all shot like television shows, which again, because it's a movie, it looks a little different and that's actually interesting and cool um, uh, because they're all very stark sets. Uh, there's really a couple people on there. You know, it all feels like a, a relatively small scale television production. Um, so that's how I read it, but you're right. All of them are kind of uh, fantastical and, and, over the top in a, in a really good way. So to see that stuff on large screen, I just thought that was a, a, a nice way to connect Cross's job with his future and showing that his future was just his job without actually necessarily hitting herself over the head. But it also then leads directly back to his about. past because his entire past is related to television and even the stories he was telling yep. were all stories he saw mm-hmm. on TV. So that would influence him as a person and his own future mm-hmm. and how he views himself. Yep. Right. right. Um, also, I love the fact that uh, the ghost Christmas future is that again, that right balance of scary and silly, because like, I, I'm, I'm sure if I saw this as a kid, I probably would have been terrified by this guy. But look at it now. It's like, it's a <laughs> giant foam skeleton hand. So yes. I love the the perspective that they do in that shot where it's like, you know, they see, you see this giant hand. Um, yes. Yeah. And, and I like that, again, there was a big joke there where they have the actor playing Christmas future from the meta show. Oh <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the, the actor where I was playing yeah. on the live show you also know, being, yeah. Talk yeah about- we didn't talk about the restaurant scene. I mean, we touched on it with the Richard Pryor mm. thing, but we didn't talk about the restaurant scene where he sees the guy catch oh. on fire. That was an interesting, like, um, th- like, I just thought that was an interesting choice. I couldn't understand why they chose fire as mm. his hallucination. For the Richard Pryor gag. Um, I still don't. Mm-hmm. It was all for the Richard Pryor gag. All for the Richard Pryor gag? Because the guy's fire starts yeah. like his sleeve. Richard Pryor originally, I think, soaked himself in like yeah. 151 and set his sleeve on fire. So it all goes back to them making a joke about Richard Pryor. Oh, interesting. Which is a horrible, horrible yeah, fucking joke. Then yeah. and now. Yeah. Right. Well, and then they have yeah. the eyeball in the in the glass. I mean, it's just 
random weird stuff for weird sake? Well, I mean, all the hallucinations that he had in and around that restaurant scene were ultimately images he saw through the three visitations. I, I did catch that. Um, but uh, there were like like the eyeballs um, uh, uh, tied to um, the, the frozen guy in the thing. Oh, his eyes right. Okay. There. I'm um, on. Yeah, you know, the fire because right. he, he was on fire later. Um, yeah, so so that that was kind of is the let's take all those images, mix them all up, show up the front ends. So again, you're not sure how much of this stuff he's hallucinating because he saw his images before, and how much of this is and actually happening. The other thing about is if you reference it, like Robert Mitchum's character ordered a highball, so Bill Murray's character ordered a highball. They brought Robert Mitchum a highball. They brought Bill Murray a glass mm -hmm. of water with an eyeball in it. Which goes back to if you also think about Lou, mm -hmm. he pulled off Lou's shades and he commented about Lou's eyes. Because Lou didn't really have eyes. They were like little mm -hmm. wished out husk of things left. Right. And that's that was Yeah, it, it's it's not right? it's yeah, not like, John Forsyth yeah. played Lou, right? John Forsyth, yeah, yeah. Um yeah, it's it's not like intricately plotted or anything. Um, but but it is uh enough that audiences who are paying attention but not like super hyper analyzing like we are are going oh i remember that thing to this thing I, okay i, yeah, I see how it all connects a times you just connected it for me so thank you but on a subconscious level hey, you probably yeah, sure. are connecting let's, it, right let's give my subconscious the benefit of the doubt <laughs> i believe in you <laughs> um anything else I want about to go back the uh, a little bit we talk about section? Um, God, what's it? The dog that Frank was playing. I forgot the name of the dog now. With John Forsyth's character. Oh, uh, right, right, right. I know you're talking about. I don't remember the name, but I know you're talking about that. That that, that. and how he's playing like, the that kid goes show. back to touch on for a point in time of his life, he was willing to do anything to be bohemian to be with her. But when he had an opportunity for a career, that's when you get to see who mm -hmm. the real Frank is. And it's still, even at that point in his life, revolved mm. around the TV show because even then he focused on making that TV show successful. And throughout his entire childhood, it was all about the TV. Even his future is right. about the TV. So it goes back to it's all about television. So like, mm. the more we talk about it, the more amazing the scripting and acting for this movie becomes for me as a viewer. Right. And again, it's, it's almost... It almost makes sense that this failed as a theatrical film, but probably has now seen a lot better partially because people mm -hmm. probably saw it on reruns mm -hmm. on TV, right? And I feel like just – it's a small thing, but again, subconsciously, seeing a show about TV on TV makes that resonate better, whereas in a theater, it, it can – it's like you're just kind of making fun of TV now, and I kind of like TV, so yeah, – There's a great you know. joke that they do in that scene too uh, where he's uh, – something like – you know, Frank says, I know what you're doing. I know what you're doing. And then he, then the ghost of Christmas past goes into the television and he's like, Hey, Frankie. Mm -hmm. And he goes, what's, what's <laughs> going on? Or I know what's going on. And then what's going on? Yeah. So like, it's a great, yeah. Right. The, they really found places for the, like they put in that humor really well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, okay. Then uh, to finish it off, um, with Elliot's help, Frank returns to the production set, secures Bryce in the control room, and breaks into the show's live broadcast to speak of his new appreciation for life. He apologizes on air to Grace, James, and the cast and crew, and makes a passionate plea to Claire to come back to him. 
Claire sees us at the shelter and heads to the network with the help of the ghost of Christmas past. As Frank and Claire reunite, Calvin comes up to Frank and speaks for the first time, reminding him to say the words, God bless us, everyone, much to Grace's elation. Frank leads the crew in singing, Put a Little Love in Your Heart, and sees Lou, the three ghosts, and the ghost of Herman smiling and waving back at him while singing along at the end credits roll. Then Frank instructs the people in the theater to sing along. Watching at home, James hails Frank as my brother, the king of Christmas. So the whole, I have read that that whole end scene, most of that end scene was all ad-libbed by Bill Murray. It was not written. I, I was yeah. wondering about that. I mean, that. it's not surprising. I do think it's beautifully done and I don't know how much of it mm -hmm. was written, but there was one of the quotes that I was thinking about starting out with, let me see if I can find it. I had made, I had made myself a note, um, was, you know, he says it's Christmas Eve. It's the one night of the year when we all act a little nicer. We smile a little easier. We cheer a little more for a couple of hours out of the whole year. We are the people that we always hoped we would mm -hmm. be. It's beautiful. And then he says, you know, and you can be that all year long. You need to do it. Like, it's, it's really well done. And then if you're curious, as I was, why the heck mm. at the end, you know, when he's talking to us, the audience, and he says, mm -hmm. you know, join in and you on this side and you on that side. And he says, feed me Seymour, <laughs> which of course I know from mm -hmm. the theater. And I had right. forgotten that he was in the Little yep. Shop of Horrors, right? He was in the Little Shop of Horrors, this. yeah. Him and Steve um, Martin. And so, uh -huh. you know, he, yeah. So he was seriously just ad-libbing stuff that was coming to his brain. Yeah. Right. And, and what's fascinating about it is that that ad-lib actually ties into themes of the movie, right? Because again, I think this does better on television because what we have, what Chris pointed out earlier is that um, he grew up watching television. He's obsessed with television. And for future Ghost of Christmas Future, as we talked about, is all framed television. And so Cross finally breaks out of television. He breaks the fourth wall to talk to the audience. He has finally yeah. left television. Yep. He's finally outside of television talking to the real world. It's a great it, – it, it's, it's pure Bill Murray ad-lib when it sounds like, but it also really ties up the themes. His character arc is complete because he's actually escaped television. But there's nothing wrong with ad-libbing if you're ad-libbing in the space that you've created beforehand, which regardless of what you say of Bill Murray, Bill Murray is right. exceptional at doing that. Like, hands down. Absolutely. Yeah. and and, and... I mean, what, one thing I, I've always appreciated Bill Murray as a comedian is that he like you said, very much inhabits the space of a character and he will go right up to every single edge he can with his humor. He's also very good about not crossing it, right? Like um, Ghostbusters actually is a really good example. It's like his character is supposed to be the arrogant prick, but he also recognizes he's supposed to be the butt of the jokes to make sure his co-stars get their moments to also be funny. And he has to do that within the scape of the character he has carved out. Uh, again, with Cross the same way, like he knows Cross has to be softer here and has to be a little more, he has to turn on the charm, if you will. Um, but he has to give that moment for Grace and uh, uh, Claire and all of them to appreciate and have their and, and also you know give him a chance a little give him a little stick because he deserves it um, and to take that graciously. Um, so in that in that respect, he may not be a gracious person to work with, but in terms of screen time, he's a gracious character to make sure that. 
I know my character needs to take a hit now because that's what this And I want to take a moment to um, call out Nicholas Phillips, who is Grace's son, who comes out to remind him about God blesses everyone and being a show stealer without talking throughout mm-hmm. this entire movie. Like, that is talent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, did he, ever, he didn't did do he much. Have, he did, like, did he three or four movies, I think, and thinking that was it. And I think they were when he was still a kid. I don't know what happened to him, really? but I want to take a moment to point out right now where his like big scene comes in and kind of steals the show from Bill Murray being awesome for like a second. He does. And, you know, I will say also that the, the part of that end that really gets me is when um, Bill Murray, you know, Frank Cross grabs Claire and he says, you know, Claire, the whole world, whole world, meet Claire. Yeah. There is something about that yeah. moment. And again, it's it's him or his character kind of making room for this other actor. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just, it's a lovely, I, it's a I agree. lovely and moment. Even more. It's just. Go ahead. Yeah, because what he does. I'll just say it's like, because I, I actually rewatched that. Because I'll have to say, why is this so good? And I, what actually is happening is um, Bill Murray does that, and Karen Allen's doing a fantastic job of looking embarrassed. Uh, uh, and, and her body language is all hunched up, but that makes you smaller on the screen. So Bill Murray actually takes a step back so that she has room on the screen to be diminished and sell that discomfort. And then he steps back in when she gets her confidence back. So she, he literally gives her space on the screen so that she doesn't get lost doing that character moment. It's, it's, it's before that oh, they take so time good. to build up her arrival, like him going around him, like making out with the supermodels. And that was nice, yeah. but what would we be better? And like saying awesomely attractive woman, what's even mm-hmm. better than that is this woman that I love and have loved. And they build her up even before they bring her out like that adds on to everything right oh speaking of that dancer he kisses i also learned <laughs> that this movie was the last appearance for the solid gold dancers what because they saw their nipples really <laughs> yeah, i guess so <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i was surprised that this was the last appearance of the solid gold dancers Wow. I mean, that's childhood yeah. for me, like those solid gold dancers. Yeah. Whew. Again, this, uh, but, I mean, actually, it's funny. I just, it just finally hit me. That's also very much an 80s thing, like having a ridiculous amount of, of stars on a holiday special is something we don't see very much anymore. But that was very much what you did in television at that time, was you had all sorts of – because there were like five channels, right? <laughs> Um, and only so many places to put people on. So you could cram a whole bunch of people onto one thing because you, they had three other work options that month. Um, uh, so the star-studded his, uh, uh, charity thing or holiday thing was very much a thing at that time. So I didn't catch it just now, but you're right. So it makes sense that the movie would also similarly cast like that to emulate that that style of, of television. And, you know, They've tried Again. to bring back that wow. variety show or the review or whatever, and it fails every time. And I don't, you know, and it's unfortunate because I like watching the old ones. Like I, I Chris and I sometimes will right. put on like old Carol Burnett um, variety shows or like yeah. whatever. I mean, we still enjoy watching them. 
but the new ones just really fell flat and i don't know why that is Is it's interesting because i don't think england's lost that um because they still do variation um they have uh what they call red nose day here which is for children in need which is a big charity um and uh, uh chris and i primarily know it because that's also where they tend to do new doctor who stuff every year uh but also it is just we're gonna have several hours of live television with tons and tons of stars um and raise a whole bunch of money uh like 33 million pounds i think this year um and it's a huge event um that everyone kind of gets together around and then builds around um similarly uh the 2012 olympics uh they did a lot of that uh um for the the opening ceremonies 2012 olympics is here in london um so i think that piece of it is still alive here, but you're right, uh, at least in the U.S. Every time I do it, it always feels forced and weird and ar- and arbitrary, where maybe it's just our nostalgia growing up, but it always felt a little more kind of authentic back in the day. Yeah, and it felt like these are people like you really to wanted to look forward to seeing. Now, some of this I'm going to – now I'm going to diverge a little bit. Some of this, I think, is mm-hmm. that celebrities are much more accessible mm-hmm. – to us through social media. So there no longer is that mystery about them. I mean, part of the charm of the Rat Pack, for instance, is that when they're doing Mm. a live show, which they have recordings of, you hear their stories, you hear them talking, but you didn't hear that all the time. You know, you only heard that in bits and pieces if you were at the show or on selected interviews on television. And so you didn't know them as people, you knew them as personas. Whereas now I feel like Mm -hmm. because of social media, we get to know them more as people. And so the mystery and the allure of that celebrity is gone. So I I think that may have an impact as well. that's That's a really good point because like, Things like these Christmas specials or um, uh, like the telethons or whatever were a chance to see these people's real people outside of either their characters or uh, you know interview chat shows. Um, it was a chance to see them a little more kind of ostensibly uh, as normal people. Um, so yeah, it's a good point. Is that we don't we don't ha- have a need for that peek behind the curtain yeah. anymore. Any closing thoughts on Scrooged? Let's start with Jill. I still love this movie. (laughs) It does have faults, many. I mean, there's lots of cringy moments now. We didn't even get to all the cringy moments, but there are plenty of cringy moments. Um, But I still love the message, and I love that song at the end. Um, if I ever hear it on the radio, I feel like it should be on the holiday music channels more often because it is a great. We can make our own playlist and put it at the top yeah. of it if you want. Okay, well, let's do that. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad. <laughs> Thanks for having me on because I, this was really fun to talk about. And you've helped connect some dots for me, too. So I appreciate that. Eddie. Hey. <laughs> um. I went into this primarily because it's like, I haven't seen this movie, but I always love engaging with things that other people love because I find their infection to be exciting and I love that connection. 
Um, but otherwise, I wasn't going with an expectation. I walked away with it going, this is probably one of the better black comedies of the 80s and also a satire of television that's up there with something like Max Hedrum, which is his probably contemporary equivalent. And I just wasn't expecting that. Um, I can tell just from the energy of the movie that it was probably <laughs> chaos on the set. Uh, but I think that adds to the charm of it because oh. it reminds me of something like Noises Off or the play that goes wrong of where it's a – the chaos of the set is kind of part of the reason why you're watching it, right? Um, and so you have the chaos of the diegetic Christmas special and then the chaos of the production around the movie itself. The energy bleeds through both of those layers. And I think it adds to the whole kind of frenetic vibe of the movie. So yes, it has flaws, but I think if this movie were polished, it would lose something, right? The fact that it has flaws, I think, adds to its charm on some level because it is rough and spiky and has some awkward moments, but the whole thing leads to just kind of this this, this pure passion project. This again, this feels like a whole bunch of people were really excited about something, <laughs> got together for a weekend, knocked out this movie and said, okay, we are never discussing this ever again. That never happens. Bury this film somewhere in a vault. Um, uh, but no, I mean, I'm not surprised to see that this is on a lot of people's favorite lists. A, a slight side tangent for the year. Uh, our daughter loves the play that goes wrong because they put out two or three seasons of the show of that. And mm-hmm. she's a huge theater person, much like her mom. And she's an actress and she does like musical musical theater and other normal other non-musical theater. And she loves that show. She's watched all the episodes multiple times, showed it to her grandparents who begrudgingly act like they're interested as she watches it with them. So uh, the fact that you mentioned it, I had to throw that out there for Z mm-hmm. because it's true and she does. Yeah. Uh, so I, my wife and I recently watched uh, a live act, a live version of Noises Off. Um, and she reminded me that there was a movie version with John Ritter as yes. the lead. And was, I want to go watch that now because, but I mean, I bring it up because also it might be a good pairing right? for. Or am I thinking of them something different? You're thinking of Soapfish. I think I think of something different because Noises Off is definitely John You're Ritter. Because there's a, there's a physical moment where someone falls down the stairs in the play that as soon as I saw that, I was like, you're right. I have seen John Ritter do that moment before in, in a rerun. <laughs> Because his falling is – John Ritter has a very distinctive falling style, which is not something you normally say about people. You, I mean, you guys, he was a brilliant, brilliant comedian. And I know, like, oh God, yes. Three's Company, while it was inane and ridiculous, mm. um, was his – I mean, he's just – his timing, he is – yeah. I mean, when he died way too early, way too soon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he, was, he was the last – him and Chevy Chase are the last kind of big physical comedians. Um, and John Ritter yeah, died. Chevy, Chevy Chase is problematic. Uh, I'm Ritter thinking out. of Soap Dish is what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Oh, right. Uh, okay. I, yeah, that makes sense. I agree. Scrooge is a great uh, movie. I enjoy watching it. I can have nothing more insightful than what the two of you said. But what I do have that neither of you brought to bear is a game. You know, it can't end one of these other games. Oh, no. look at Jill's face. Her whole yeah. face fell. So I, I, this is going to be an easy game, Jill, because you're a new guest. So I won't make it as hard <laughs> as I would have otherwise with just Eddie and I. For this game, it's going to be really easy. What is your favorite Bill Murray movie, not Scrooge, um, and why? 
I'll give Jill a minute because she's not used to the games, how I have to bring them out. But Eddie, we do this all the time. What is your favorite Bill move, move, Bill Murray movie and why that cannot be Scrooge because we just talked about Scrooge's awesomeness. And you know what? For you, I'm going to add an additional complication, right, so my like, friend. It cannot be uh, Ghostbusters. I was about to say, I was, I was going to actually exempt myself from Ghostbusters. I mean, that, that's a little too easy. Um, uh, so I honestly, I'm going to go with the other work he did with Harold Remus, which is A Little Shop of Horrors. We talked about that um, because that's another oh. fantastic film. And also, I think Harold I should Remus have clarified more because be Bill Murray is a bit part player in that and not a real part of it. You got me. Still got me. in I, the I'm, movie. I'm rusty. I shouldn't have had a big <laughs> beer for this game. I I, I, I cat myself. I'm going to get you next time, though. Jill, Eddie has cheated at our game. Will you cheat right. also? What? No, I'm not cheating. Um, Groundhog Day. Oh, I love that movie. Why? Again, yes. that speaks to my um, sliding doors. Oh, that's right. Uh, fascination. So yeah. you make yeah. one small change and it can affect, you know, the whole day, or maybe it doesn't affect anything. And you relive that day over and over and over again. And it's so funny, like Groundhog Day was supposed to be a kind of mild parody of time travel shows. And now it is the literal <laughs> name for a time travel style paradox. Like most people you go, how do you do a, how do you do a time loop? Oh, Groundhog Day. Okay, go on. It's a shorthand for a time loop. Um, I just love the fact that it tried to be fun of sci-fi and ended up defining science fiction. I, I really love that movie. I, and and, and yeah, I will it's, it's say, great. I hope she's not listening. Andy McDowell is a terrible actress. Oh. I, I don't think she's listening. Um, <laughs> oh no, we've lost a listener. Uh, <laughs> she's so bad. She's in one of my favorite movies of all time, which is St. Elmo's Fire. Loved it. Talk about mm-hmm. quintessential 80s movie. Um, and she's bad in that too. Like she's just very stiff. She's just a very stiff kind of actress. So anyway, despite that, I still does she get better in any roles? You've opened a whole new door now. N- Oof. No. Oof. <laughs> Oof. I mean, I she started Oof. out from what I know, which I don't know a lot about her. Um, she started out as a model and then, you know, as models do, they sometimes segue into acting. And I, um, now she was in, what was I watching? The maid. I was watching a few, I don't know if you've seen this show. It's a, it's yeah. Oh yeah. It's uh, the yeah, new yeah, Netflix yeah. one. Uh, I watched a few episodes of that and she plays the mom, like the mom to the girl playing the maid. And she plays like a pretty trashy, terrible person. Maybe a little better. Maybe. Jesus. <laughs> All right. Okay. Don't wow. kill me. Okay. All right, Chris. Uh, for me, yep, it's easy. It's Since I'm not using Ghostbusters and I'm not using Scrooge, and I will not take Groundhog Day because Jill chose that one. I would never sit Little Shop of Horrors because that shouldn't count. Um, it's going to be Lost in Translation because I like Bill Murray playing an actor who's burnt okay. out when Bill Murray was at a point where he was trying to figure out if his career was done or not. Like that is a meta commentary on commentary on yeah. him and him and Bill Murray bringing his a game but is not his zany a game yeah and you don't mind that i do like scar joe i'm not gonna lie i was gonna leave that out but joe brought it up i i like scar joe a lot from 
her Lost in Translation. I like Black Widow, but I like Lost in Translation ScarJo more. Fair enough. Um, also, since I've, I've cheated you and I'm happy with that, um, if I had an actual option, I probably should have. Can, can I involved. tell you something that you'll be upset about? I've never seen that movie. What? What? Wow. <laughs> well, it looks like you're going to watch that soon. I'm just really <laughs> And surprised. I've never seen The Life Aquatic either. That's it, right? I think that's what it's called. I don't think I've seen I that think one. I saw that no, we together, didn't. babe. You might have watched that with your other husband, but not this one. Well, what Wes Anderson movie We've watched did a few we watch? Wes Anderson movies, but that was with uh, Ralph Fiennes in the hotel. I, we we watched it together. It. Of course, I know you've seen it. And we talked about watching Asteroid City, but we haven't watched it yet. Mr. Fox, we started but didn't finish. Oof. Jill doesn't like animated movies. I can appreciate Wes. No, no, no. But here's the thing. I do like animated movies. You don't like The Hobbit? I am not my mother. Um, I mean, it has some animation in it. (laughs) Things move occasionally. I I can appreciate Wes Anderson. Like, I I deeply appreciate Wes Anderson. I think he is brilliant. His Mm -hmm. movies just may not be for me. The one you're thinking of that we watched would have been Moonlight Kingdom. With Bill Murray, Edward Norton, yes. and the two kids, one yes. of which was like a scout. That's the movie you're thinking. Yeah, that is the one. Wes Anderson has filled my brain with useless information, too. I need better hobbies. Yes, blame, yes. blame Wes Anderson. Um, any exactly. final closing thoughts <laughs> on this podcast so we can end it because we're over two hours? Good Lord. Nobody's going to listen to We, we got two people, maybe. Uh, you're probably right. I listen to it. I, I, I will say thank you for coming on. I appreciate you coming on, Jill. This has actually been quite a lot of fun. Um, and I'm, I'm glad we did Good. this. Well, thanks for inviting me. Uh, I, I did have fun. It's fun to, to talk shop and, I don't know, talk about something I love. Yeah. So that's good. I, I enjoyed Plus bringing a couple of my time. favorite people together. So um, that's always fun for me. Oh, I'm here too. <laughs> I figured you talk about you and Ziggy. <laughs> You've made your way in there over the past few years. You know. Aw. Yay. <laughs> the threats worked. Cast all um, your checks. Don't worry. Uh, Jill, are you on social media or are you smart and have avoided it? Like, um, <laughs> I am on social media, but not you. I, I'm now off Twitter. Um, that okay. is, yeah, had to. I'm sorry, X, whatever. Yeah. It so, is if you've now. noticed a decline um, in uh, darker hues, cool, witty responses on X, it's because our social media manager is no longer on X. Now, you're forced to deal with a writer you know, who will not give you the same <laughs> manner of wit, but will give you a lot more fuck you, motherfucker, if you come at me with something I don't like. <laughs> Um, there is right. that. Yeah. So my other, my other social medias are private. So sorry, mm. but you can, you can find That's me fine. through Chris anytime we live together. You can come well, on, Chris, you can come on to X and talk to Dr. <laughs> and if you're an asshole, I'll tell you to fuck off and I'll block you. The best place to engage with me is on the, uh, darker hue discord. I would like to sell books and things, but you know what? If I don't, I don't, but if you want to buy them, you can buy them at the darker hue studios website. I got Haunted West. There's maybe a hundred copies floating around. Otherwise, uh, back to Patreon, and you may hear this episode early. You may hear a special, specific holiday episode for the Patreon that's not this one. And yeah, that's about it. What about you, Eddie? I'm 
curious about this holiday special for Patreon that I haven't heard about yet. <laughs> um, uh, but I, I am still on social media. Primarily, I am on Blue Sky and Mastodon. You can find me as Pugsteady through those. You also find that's my website, pugsteady.com. Uh, if you want to buy my stuff, the best way to find it is my creator-owned game, Realms of Pugmire, where if you want to play a dog with a battle axe... Which my daughter will have a copy of this holiday season. Uh, but... Soon, soon. Yes, I, I, I have an autograph on its way to you now. Hey. Soon. Uh, but otherwise, yes, uh, the best place to find most of us is through the Darker Hue Discord. That is really where we hang out today. We had some great conversations on there, uh, both about this podcast and about Doctor Who and whatever else is on our minds. So if you like this kind of discussion, definitely come hang out there. Uh, if you want more of this beyond just the free podcast, we give you back the Darker Hue Patreon because we do have bonus episodes on there. And other than that, uh, this is dropping around the holidays. So uh, whichever holidays you celebrate, I hope they are good ones. Uh, and we will see you next year with more stuff. I've already forgotten what the next episode is. Next episode of stuff. <laughs> Bye.